Hi, I'm Jodie Candy. I'm a Great Brown Paracyclist. Hi, I'm Hannah Cockcroft, five-time Paralympic champion in a sport of wheelchair racing the summer of 2012. I think it changed everyone's lives. Whether you were competing there or you were just watching, everyone remembers it. Certainly, London did a, an amazing job. Everybody got to see the Paralympics for what they were. Paralympians weren't looked at for the disabilities anymore. It was all about, actually, the racing's pretty damn good as well. London Legacy Development Corporation took a very difficult problem. How do we transfer from the games into post-games and broke it down into solvable bits? A mixed audience of East Londoners and families. The diversity was palpable and you felt the change. And we knew something had shifted and we thought we need to bottle this. We tried to change the world a little bit. The London 2012 Paralympics was a game changer on the field of play and off it. Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is thought to be the most accessible place in the UK. But that legacy isn't the end. In fact, as you'll discover in this edition of the podcast, it's just the beginning. Coming up, we'll hear from the founders of a global hub based on the park that bit by bit is trying to change the world. And as the delayed Tokyo 2020 Paralympics get underway, we'll hear about their latest project to show they're so much more than just world-class sport. Back in 2005, as London vied with Paris, Madrid and New York to stage the Olympics in 2012, there was also a clear commitment not to ignore the Paralympics. In fact, London's bid declared it would be the most accessible Games ever. Now approaching 10 years on, the park remains at the forefront of disability development. The overall aim of the Global Disability Innovation Hub, based on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, is to drive change and help deliver a fairer world for all. And it was founded by three people, two of which worked on the Paralympic legacy in the run-up to 2012. We'll hear from Ian McKinnon, who led on the legacy design of the park in a moment. But now let's hear from Academic Director of the Hub and Professor, one of its partners, University College London, Cathy Holloway. And firstly, Global Disability Innovation Hub CEO, Vicky Austin. We are a research and practice centre based on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. We are constituted of two things, a research centre inside of University College London and supported by the other academic partners on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, which has just been awarded the first official collaborating centre status for the World Health Organisation on assistive technology. And we're also a community interest company that's a social business that we set up in order to do things globally and a bit quicker. We do that by taking some of the ideas and concepts and the things that we learnt on London 2012 and spreading them across our global programmes and partnerships. And at the moment, we're operational in 35 countries with over 70 partners, including people like UNICEF, the World Health Organisation, the Clinton Access Initiative for Health, And we're lucky enough to be able to say that we've so far reached 21 million people with our work. And that's across five domains of activity. The first is assistive technology. So you may not know, but globally around a billion people need access to wheelchairs, hearing aids, eyeglasses, walking sticks and the such like. But at the moment, nine out of 10 people do not have that access, which means that 900 million people are currently unable to go to school, to work, or take part in amazing sport like the Paralympic Games because they don't have simple pieces of technology. So we're setting out to try and address that with a big global programme funded by um, UK Aid. The other areas we work in are inclusive design of the built environment because of course, assistive technology is of no use if you can't get around the place. And East London is a beautiful, 
wonderful opportunity to witness inclusive design in practice. Um, we also work on culture and participation, so really amplifying the value of sport, because we know sport can change people's minds and change people's lives. So, Cathy, tell us what it is you do and how you got involved. So, um, I, I have a great role. <laughs> I, I love my job. Um, I get to work at UCL and then also work with people like Vicky and Ian. I was a, a young academic, uh, fewer grey hairs than, than I have now. And I had a small idea that we could, when we moved, when UCL built the campus on the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, we could have a co-design space where we could create assistive technologies and inclusive solutions to the environment and also to the digital world for people, uh, for disabled people, but for everybody. Um, and that was a really small idea until I met um, Vicky and Ian. And, and then I realised that actually, if you combine it with big ideas like the Paralympics and, and the kind of social movement for change, you can have a, a, a deliver a huge impact. Um, and that was only going to be possible through partnerships. Um, and at UCL, we really care deeply about partnerships, about how we work with our local community, about how we work with our global community. And so Vicky, Ian and I um, get to basically play. I mean, we, at some level, we get to play in, in the arena that is the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park on topics that are really difficult. You know, if you don't really understand how difficult it is to make our society is truly inclusive for people so if we don't understand all the problems in getting products to market if we don't understand all the problems that are faced daily and people just trying to get out of their homes the societal stigma that people face the barriers to just get into work or get into jobs and um, then, then we can't solve it right so if we understand it's really complex and difficult then we can actually go right let's deconstruct it in exactly the same way as the London Legacy Development Corporation took a very difficult problem how do we reject how do we transfer from the games into post games and broke it down into solvable bits we can take the problem of global disability and inclusion and use things like the Paralympics um, and and the, the the movement we the 15 to transform people's lives you mentioned we the 15 I'll get Vicky's view on this in a moment but I know Kathy you're pretty excited about it as well I am incredibly excited about it. It's like the fruition of, of dreams, if that makes sense. Um, if you really try to, to make social change, you need a huge number of actors coming together. And, and Vicky um, has led that for us um, from GDI Hub. So I'll let, I'll let Vicky speak about it. When we all witnessed what happened with the Paralympic Games in London 2012, anyone that was even a, uh, an observer of that felt something shift in terms of the way we view disability. I remember my boss at the time saying to me, wow, there are people with disabilities all over the streets of Stratford and it feels inclusive. And, and I think for me, it was the moment when I looked up and I saw that Channel 4 billboard. The Olympic Games had finished. I'd stepped outside of the Olympic Park. I was exhausted. And I just saw this billboard that said, thanks for the warm up. And I thought, oh yeah, we're going to do this really differently. And suddenly, for the very first time, we had more athletes from more countries than ever before competing on this global stage and a, a mixed audience of East Londoners and families. The diversity was palpable and you felt the change. And we knew something had shifted and we thought we need to bottle this. And that's what we did with GDI. We tried to bottle it. We tried to change the world a little bit. Me, Ian and Cathy said, let's try and change the world a little bit. And we did, and we have, and we are, and we hope we'll continue to do so. But we can't change the world a lot by ourselves. But we, the 15, can. 
So for the first time, the International Paralympic Committee has recognised and given resource to the need to change the world as well as sport. And that's hard because they're a small organisation that need to put on the world's third biggest sports event. But they've brought together this partnership of 20 of the world's biggest organisations to change the world a lot. And so we are absolutely privileged to be one of those 20 organisations. Cathy, did you ever imagine when you started on this journey that you would become a worldwide global movement? Um, no, I think I'm just looking down to my left and there's the uh, habit uh, every day is the Rio um, pass to go to the Paralympics. And um, so I'm getting emotional for some reason, but I was genuinely amazed to be invited to the Paralympics. You know, you said you have Tom Daly on this show before. Someone like Tom Daly is amazing, right? You know, like what he can do is, is phenomenal. And that's not just his knitting, right? That's, you know, he, he can dive as well, I think. <laughs> but, but I'm just a, an academic, you know? I, I, um, I write papers. I, I try to educate the next uh, generation. I try to invent new technologies that will make the world a bit of a fairer place. Um, but as a child, I wanted to change the world. Um, I wanted, to, I could never understand why power was used in um, inappropriate ways. It was always something I cared very deeply about. Uh, social justice is something that has kind of run through my blood for, for, for a long time. But for me to be able to use what I love to do, which is be an academic, and, and I think people don't know what an academic is. <laughs> they, they're like these, these weird people that you know, are in universities. So some people think you're a teacher. Some people think you're a researcher. Some people think you do absolutely nothing. But what we do is try to create new knowledge. Uh, and in order to create new knowledge, um, you have to bring partners together. Um, and what I care about is creating new knowledge to, to change societal problems. And I think that people with disabilities or disabled people, depending on which geography you're in, are often the poorest people. And I don't mean that in terms of personality or ability. Uh, they are, you know, people are full of abundance and, and full of ability. And yet society sort of wraps straight jackets around that ability and doesn't allow them uh, to shine. I was just gonna add to that. Under Cathy's leadership, the programme we've been able to launch with partners on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is a new master's programme called Design, Disability and Innovation, which is now in its third year. So with Loughborough University and the London College of Fashion, we're teaching students how to do this for the first time, and we're getting a bigger and bigger cohort of interest. And we've published now 62 peer-reviewed journal articles on the topic. And um, with Loughborough University and the International Paralympic Committee, and with the help of Hogan Lovells, the legal firm that provided free um, legals on the contracting, and the support of UK Aid, we're able to screen the Paralympic Games for the first time in 49 additional countries this year. So sub-Saharan Africa, for the first time in many, many locations, will be able to watch the Paralympic Games. And that's directly thanks to the work of our partners and our teams. So we're really excited because we know that watching amazing athletes perform in Tokyo is going to make a difference. And Vicky, obviously your role around 2012 was to head up the legacy from the Paralympics. Did you at that point, envisage that you would be at this point or were you just thinking there we just need to make sure we leave a park that has ramps and railings and some of that infrastructure 
we definitely were thinking that we needed to leave leave a park that had ramps and railings. Um, and a little bit more than that, we took the, the inclusive design standards that we did for games and we had to change them quite a lot because how you build a games park is to put up lots of barriers and have lots of safe areas that people can't go through. That's not how you create an inclusive part of a global city, probably the most diverse global city in the world. But what I didn't realise is that what we had done was so special. We did it because it needed to be done. And as soon as it stops needing to be done, we'll go and do something else. But I have to say, we've just recently completed a piece of research retrofitting what was done in London to to understand what that model was. And you know what we found? We knew it was about setting a mission. And I expected it to be, okay. London put in our bid for the Paralympic Games that we were going to be inclusive and accessible. And that's where it all started. No, that's not the answer. The answer is it started in the communities that knew what was needed way before we put it in the bid. So this is the story of community-driven mission setting. This is the story of community leadership that was backed by politicians and then organisations across the political spectrum. And so where do you start? You start with the people that know best. And in this case, it was Disabled East Londoners that knew best. But our message globally is... How do we find the people that know best, no matter what the project? So whether we're working on um, slum, with slum dwellers in Sierra Leone, with innovators in Kenya, with communities in Indonesia, and we're doing all of that, the people that know best are the people that are in receipt of the decision, the policy, the service, the piece of technology. And those are the people that should be leading our thinking in all sectors. And GDI Hub tries to hold space for that globally, which it turns out is innovative. Cathy, is there one thing that you're really proud of? I think it's the team. We didn't have a clue what we were doing when we started, if I'm honest. Um, like we, we had an idea, but how do you operationalise that idea um, was, was really hard. And, and we had to get buy-in from, from you know, University College London, from Loughborough University, from University of Arts London. I mean, getting that master's programme, that, that's something I'm proud of. The, the master's in disability design and innovation that's delivered by three universities is not an easy task. Um, the paper and the work alone will wedge up you know, a few doors for you. Um, and, and yet the students that come on it are amazing and, and brilliant and, and, and diverse and wonderful. And final word then for you, Vicky. I mean, when you look at the work that the Global Disability Innovation Hub has done, continues to do and will do in the future, what would be your message to our listeners about what you are achieving? So I would 100% back what Cathy said, not just our team, but our board, which is made up of disabled people from three continents. I'd also say a huge thank you to LLDC, who essentially um, pump-primed us with just enough money to get us going for a year. And without that, we wouldn't have been able to launch. Like many small businesses, we needed that initial help. In terms of a message to others, everyone needs to get involved. What can you do? And in 10 years' time, when we look back on what we each did... Will we be proud of what we've achieved for disability inclusion? Will we be able to tell our children that we did these things to help make the world a better place for the current one billion disabled people that live on our planet and for all of us and for our families? Because each of us will need inclusive environments and assistive technology at some point in our lives. So what do you want to be able to say in 10 years time you did now? to make the world a fairer place. 
Vicky Austin and Cathy Holloway. We heard about We The 15. Still to come, we'll be joined by Craig Spence from the International Paralympic Committee to find out more. Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park has worked hard to ensure it really is a park for all, with the park mobility service, step-free access and accessible blue badge car parking for all of the venues, like the stadium, aquatic centre, copper box and the velodrome. The park has been designed to be as accessible and inclusive as possible for a wide range of visitors, employees and future residents. Hi, my name is Ian McKinnon. I am one of the co-founders and one of the directors of the Global Disability Innovation Hub. And I lead on inclusive design for GDI Hub. For me, good inclusive design, it's about how we experience really life and the world around us. And I think, you know, designers have such influence in how things come to be, how we use things. And that includes buildings um, as, as much as it includes products, services, digital, you know, applications and things like that. Um, and so what good inclusive design does is it, it considers a really wide, broad and diverse range of end users, you know, which, believe it or not, historically has not really been done particularly well, if at all. Um, and our starting point is is with disability and with disabled people and looking at how to design things that work really well for disabled people. Um, and what we have found and what industry is beginning to now become aware of is the fact that if you design something really well to work well for disabled people and, and then also thinking about perhaps older people, then arguably what you end up with is, a, is a, an end product, an output, whatever that may be, that actually works better for everybody. They say the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is the most accessible place in the country. Effectively, that's all down to you, Ian. <laughs> I'd love to say that was the case, but no, it's very much a, a collective effort. I, I was very, very fortunate in that I was appointed um, to the London Legacy Development Corporation in 2011. And my role was always to focus on the legacy um, of the game. So a huge amount of work had been done by many others to ensure that the Olympic Park was, and, and venues was designed and built to be accessible and inclusive. So, I mean, and that work had been going since probably the, the very beginning, you know, from the bid on really, so from 2005 on. So I can't take any credit for that. I think to have a very specific Paralympic legacy programme, which was led by Vicky Austin, um, and who, who which I was part of that team, that was absolutely unique. I don't believe that had ever been done before. London was was the it was a bit of a game changer, I, I, I believe. Um, and really, all the work that I did, which my area of focus was, you know, inclusive design of of the built environment and development, certainly that that fell under the remit of that Paralympic legacy piece, and and that to my knowledge, had never been done before. So, so yeah, and, and, and then just, just generally in the UK, to, to really embed that process and to really champion and prioritise inclusive design in that way and on that scale, I don't believe had been done before. So tell us the specific things that you changed or worked on in the park that made it more accessible. Some of the things we might recognise. Yeah, I mean, the, the trick here, it's, it's quite interesting because really good inclusive design is or should really be, be, be invisible, actually. It, it's something that you don't 
automatically see and think, oh yeah, that's there's there's like a big ramp or or you know there there's like there's the the accessible entrance or something or that's signposted. It 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 should be kind of invisible in as much that it just works better. It works well for everyone, and then almost subconsciously you. Regardless of your ability or disability, you you feel, you feel more you feel more welcome in this space, and you can enjoy the space. The key for me is experience. That's the key word and and for for me about inclusive design of the built environment is the experience that you have. And a lot of the work that we've done on the on the park is to ensure that people have an equally positive experience. Now, some of the specific things we've done um, would be the, the, the interconnectivity, so the, the, the transport links into Stratford and around the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park are really quite good. You've got the Jubilee Line, which is, is one of the more accessible London Underground lines. You know, there's obviously challenges there, but the Jubilee Line is, is considered to be one of the better ones. You've got the DLR, Docklands Light Railway connections, which again are, are quite good in terms of their accessibility. We improved many of the existing stations around the park to provide better access. So even an example would be Hackney Wick Station, which had these enormous, huge, big ramps to get up and down from. That was, you know, working with partners like Network Rail and others, TFL, we, we were able to, to put in passenger lifts to get up and down from the platforms, which improved the access. So the whole you're thinking about the whole journey, how you get there, and then once you come on to the park, um, you have a huge amount of work was done at the very, very beginning when they were moving, shifting soil around to make sure the gradients across the park were as shallow as possible, in particular down to the rivers and the canals, where there's a significant level change. We made sure that gradients were as level as possible to support um, mobility aid users, manual wheelchair users, but it also supports you know people using prams and buggies uh, uh, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, you've got like uh, in the evening, you're thinking about the lighting, pro providing an even spread of light, supports all of us, but also people with visual impairment, really important. Um, and then once you get into this, the individual buildings in the park, you know, also making sure that, that there's a seamless kind of journey. Um, and so coming in from the, the immediate landscaping around the the building is being done in a way that's that provides good approach routes it's very obvious where that main entrance is everyone uses the same main entrance you know so it's inclusive in that way not using revolving doors which can be exclusive for some people you're automatically sliding double doors to come in you're in those public buildings that the park's famous for like the stadium and the and the aquatic center and the velodrome your arrival point will be at the reception area in most cases. So having a reception desk that's at a, a suitable level where whether you're standing or seated in a wheelchair, you have face-to-face -face contact with the receptionist. Um, you have an accessible toilet um, close at hand. The accessible toilet facilities and the changing places facilities, which are larger toilets for more severely disabled people, I believe the park has the highest concentration of them in the country which really supports, again, people with more severe disabilities who may require one or two assistants with them to come onto the park, spend the day on the park and enjoy the facilities. So, yeah, yeah, those are just some of the things that would immediately spring to my mind that, that the park's been able to, to implement um, and make it a genuinely inclusive place to be. You mentioned earlier that the Paralympics in London was a game changer, and we talk about that a lot from on the field to off the field. If we hadn't had 2012, would you be doing what you're doing now? No, I think I would still be working in inclusive design of the built environment. But the the 
the scale and I think that the level of ambition that we have, the scale of the projects that we have, the, the, the type of support in terms of funding, it really did kind of open the floodgates a little, um, I, I would say. Um, so, so the simple answer is no. Without, without the success of the Games in 2012, we, we would not be where we are now. Ian McKinnon from the Global Disability Innovation Hub, based on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. It's one of 20 major organisations that have signed up to the International Paralympic Committee's We the 15 project. Here's Craig Spence, the organisation's Chief Brand and Communications Officer. So We The 15 is, is a decade-long global communications campaign involving 20 international organisations who share our passion for driving social inclusion. It's spearheaded by the International Paralympic Committee and International Disability Alliance. And effectively, it aspires to be the biggest ever human rights movement representing the world's 1.2 billion persons with disabilities who make up 15% of the global population. And over the next 10 years, you're going to see a, a rollout of activities that really does aim to advance the lives and transform the lives of the world's 1.2 billion persons with disabilities. Every one in seven people on this planet has a disability. Very few people know that. Why? Because many persons with disabilities are hidden from society due to the stigma that's attached to it. We want to change that. And so We The 15 is a hugely ambitious uh, campaign. But it's a huge team effort, bringing together organisations from business, sports. So, for example, for the first time ever, the IPC Special Olympics, Invictus Games Foundation and Deaf Olympics are working together on a campaign. Never been done before. Uh, you've got public policy in there. You've got advocacy. So you've got UN Human Rights. You've got UNESCO. Um, you've got the Global Disability Innovation Hub, which is a great legacy project from London 2012. And we've worked out that if we work together, rather than working on our own projects, we can make more of a difference. And, and, and this campaign's needed now more than ever. It's more relevant than ever because persons with disabilities have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And if the UN 2030 Sustainable Agenda is all about leaving no one behind, then we can't leave behind 1.2 billion people. So... This campaign is going to be huge and I can't wait for the world to see it. You'll see a TV campaign that will launch in 60 countries, including Channel 4 in Great Britain. You'll see broadcasters who are broadcasting the games, promoting the campaign across their channels. We'll be lighting up over 125 iconic landmarks purple, the colour of the campaign. So we'll be starting in Auckland at the Sky Tower um, and we finish off in Vegas. No finer place to finish than Vegas, but in London... Uh, we're lighting up the Houses of Parliament, the London Eye, and we're even taking over uh, London's Piccadilly Circus. All the screens will be going purple. We're distributing uh, 20,000 temporary tattoos to our athletes with the We The 15 symbol, which they'll be encouraged to wear during the Games. Athletes will be speaking out about disability rights and why we need to initiate change. The film that you'll see in the opening ceremony is, is stunning. It's been filmed in in London, Bangkok, Bogota, uh, Manila, Johannesburg. It features 40 persons with disabilities. And it sort of like looks at how society sees disability. And at the moment, the majority of societies look at disability through two lenses. One is pity, and you feel sorry for persons with disability. And at the other end of the spectrum is the pedestal. Oh, you're a Paralympian, you're so inspirational, you're so courageous. No one considers the middle ground. And the middle ground is that persons with disabilities share the same interests as every other person on this planet 
It's just they don't get the same opportunities because it's society that disables them by putting barriers in place that doesn't allow them to fulfill their potential. So we'll be putting out that advert, which will be going out globally, including the ceremony, and hopefully it'll make a difference. So just finally then, obviously, what did London 2012 do in order to change things? Did it change things for the IPC? Yeah, but I think Beijing sort of like set a, set a benchmark for where London needed to aim, but London then blew it out of the water. I mean, for the first time, we positioned Paralympic sport as high-performance sport, so people really started to appreciate and understand the the training that goes into be a Paralympian, and we saw some amazing performances in London. Um, they changed one in three attitudes towards disability in Great Britain. That's equivalent to 20 million people. Um, but it's pointless changing attitudes if opportunities don't come off the back of it. And, and I think my favourite statistic from London 2012 is that one million more persons with disability are now in employment than there were before London 2012. And I think London 2012 played a significant part in that. Thank you to Craig Spence from the International Paralympic Committee speaking to us during what is such a busy time for him and his colleagues. And good luck to all involved in the Paralympics in Tokyo and with the We The 15 campaign. The vision of the London Legacy Development Corporation, which is responsible for running the park, is to leave a real legacy from the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. It's not just about maintaining the famous sports venues where our heroes performed, but driving innovation and growth. And just as importantly as we've heard in this podcast, it's about transforming the lives of all East Londoners and building an inclusive and equal society across the city, UK and even the world. Absolutely every one of us who is lucky enough to live to an older age will experience impairment in our lifetime and will need assistive technology, will need inclusive environments, will need stigma to be reduced. I think this is a a massive opportunity for us to really not only change attitudes towards disability but also empower persons with disabilities in Japan. I think in Japan there's this protection-like system where you wrap persons with disabilities in cotton wool and I think the Paralympics can show that you don't need to do that. care about how do we make sure that we are able to change the world a lot uh, not just a little bit we, you know it's not enough to do a little bit the, the, the problem is too great 